the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about yet another mass shooting in our backyard. This one at Michigan State University where three people are dead and five injured after a shooting spree in the heart of that campus. We're going to talk with a reporter who's covering the incident and a state senator who's pushing for tighter gun regulations. But we also, of course, really want to hear from members of the affected communities about how they're grappling with all of it. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad that you've joined us. One of the darker dimensions of being a parent is getting used to the stomach knot that grows in your gut around what I'll call horrid anticipation. Your kid is somewhere beyond your vision and outside the grasp of your control, and something goes wrong. You call the elementary school to hear what happened on the playground. The swim coach rings you to say that your high schooler has had some sort of mishap in the pool. The police, the hospital, or maybe a more morbid authority calls to tell you, well, something that's unthinkable. Last night, I was among the tens of thousands of parents calling pretty frantically after students at Michigan State University with that knot really tight in my stomach. We're all trying to distinguish our kids from several whose lives were damaged or ended by a shooter on campus. This is my son's first year in East Lansing. He's still trying to figure out where everything is, how everything works, what he will make of his time in college. But when I dialed him last night, all I wanted to know was whether he was safe, whether he was alive. Now, for me, that horrid anticipation, that painful knot in my stomach, it turned out to be for nothing. My son was fine, sheltering in his dorm with some of his friends, a little worried about others he hadn't heard from yet, but he was okay. He was lucky. Lots of others were not. 
The mass shooting at MSU, which killed three and wounded five others, means this week or next, more families are going to bury their children. And more will struggle for years with the physical and emotional fallout of being shot. And thousands will now count themselves as having been involved for no reason at all in America's wretched gun violence. This is now just who we are. This is our American sickness. And uh, frankly, I'm out of breath from arguing that we can and should do better while gun profiteers choke the life out of potential progress with their money and their influence. So we're just left to continue. We wait for the next time it'll happen, and we hope, probably foolishly, that our own kids, our own families, our neighbors, or our friends won't wind up as part of the body count. We want to do a number of things on the show today. We, of course, want to talk to some of the people who can help us understand what's actually happening in East Lansing right now, what happened yesterday, and what's going to happen in the next few days. We'll talk with State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who has been pushing in Lansing for some time now for us to think about ways we can regulate guns better in this state. If you think this isn't a gun problem, you're not paying attention. But we also want to make sure that this is a forum for you. How many parents here in Southeast Michigan were doing the same thing I was doing last night, picking up the phone, dialing your son or daughter, worried about what you'd hear on the other end. How many people are headed up to East Lansing today to get your son or daughter? Bring them home. Think about how narrow the miss is every time this happens. You can call us at 313-577-1019. That's always the number here, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to start today with Emily Lawler, who is the state politics and government editor for the Detroit Free Press and a Michigan State University graduate. Uh, she was covering this last night, and uh, if you follow her on Twitter, you know, her coverage uh, was always where it needed to be. 
She was on top of what was happening as it was happening. Uh, she was a critical source of information, not just for parents like me, but uh, for people all over the state. Emily, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me, and I'm, I'm so sorry about your experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about where we are this morning, what we know about what happened, who did this, and how the university is reacting today. Yeah. So, um, you know, we woke up to updated numbers. Um, there are three dead and five uh, injured, as you mentioned. Um, they did um, catch the shooter last night. Um, it sounds like he uh, turned the gun on himself when confronted by police. Um, at least as, as that's basically as much as we know. Um, they have named him. Um, I think there was some police presence at his house last night. Um, but the sort of, uh, you know, one thing that the police were consist- consistently emphasizing is that he didn't have a connection to MSU. He was a, a 43-year-old man, um, and, and it's really not clear yet why he did this. And I, I think that's probably the, the outstanding question all of us have going into today. Hmm. While this was happening... Uh, there was a lot of confusion. I mean, it was obvious from the reports that I could see on social media. It was obvious from the television coverage, which which came pretty quickly after that. Uh, give us a sense of, on a campus of that size, uh, uh, on a campus with so many spaces that somebody could hide in uh, in the darkness of night, um, how how officials at the university were able to manage this? What, what, what was happening and how did they make sure or try to make sure that students would be safe uh, as, as soon as they knew what was happening? Yeah. So, um, you know, we know now from police information that the shooting started around 8, 18 um, PM so that's late, but there are still classes going on um, at 8.18 p.m. Um, I talked to some students who were waiting outside for people they knew who were trapped in their classes and locked down. Um, so the university sent down a message urging everyone to shelter in place. Um, it was extremely serious and extremely swift uh, given the, the timeline. So that message was out by, I think it was 8.31 p.m. So... Um, at that point, students were sheltering in place or trying to get to a place. I um, spoke to one student who lives in the apartments right across from campus who showed me a video um, that his roommate had taken of people running away from the, the scene of the shooting and trying to find shelter. So, um, you know, it was a, a true scramble um, from what we can piece together for, for everyone involved, um, obviously. It's a, a really difficult situation. Um, but the, the two buildings that were mostly affected um, were um, Berkey Hall and the MSU Union, which are right on the campus's northern edge. Um, it's sort of the Grand River's the, the main drag that separates campus from um, the city of East Lansing. So, um, you know, there was sort of this weird divide where people were um, coming off of campus, uh, according to the video I saw. And then uh, campus is huge. It's 
I think it's three square miles. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of farmland um, in addition to uh, buildings and and everything else. And and frankly, it is a little eerie at night, but police had the main entrance, which which is by the Union, um, just barricaded. Um, They had a line of ambulances um, waiting and um, were able to, to clear the buildings, but the uh, gunmen remained at large for, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we have a little bit of sound from MSU Interim President Teresa Woodruff, who addressed what was going on on campus very early this morning. Our campus grieves. We will all grieve. And we will change over time. We cannot allow this to continue to happen again. We cannot allow this to continue to happen again. I think that's a sentiment that we heard already a lot last night as this was was happening. Um, Emily, what are what are uh, police? What are campus officials saying? I know it's early uh, about things that could be done to make this different, or about the the, the ways that uh, they could react differently to things like this. Um, you know, as a way of trying to prevent them in the future. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that kind of retrospection yet, um, and that may be because I took a nap sometime between 3 a.m. and now. Um, but <laughs> I do think that, um, you know, the police response was the biggest police response I've ever seen to anything, um, and in, at least in my narrow coverage experience uh, here in the Lansing area. But, um, you know, I was seeing police cars from every federal acronym you can imagine. Um, I was seeing cars from Oakland County, which is an hour and a half away. I was seeing cars from Genesee County. Um, and just the the true activation of the interagency effort was um, uh, apparent um, pretty, pretty um, off the bat, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. We want to hear from folks about how they're feeling today about what happened yesterday in East Lansing at Michigan State University. Three students we now know shot to death. Five others wounded uh, by a, what appears to be a pretty random uh, incident. Uh, somebody who had no real affiliation with the university, uh, who was the perpetrator. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Ellen on Twitter says, seems like we are firmly in the era of, quote, this person survived two school shootings during their education. Uh, she says, it's insane to think how many didn't survive to get us here and how little we've done about it. Um, I, I, I want to go next to Carter Fry, who is... Uh, Michigan State University student and an intern here at uh, WDET. Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, I, I, I trust that you're okay, but also uh, are the people that you know, uh, your campus community, is everyone is everyone okay there? Yeah, as far as I know, everyone um, that I know is okay, but uh, everyone's definitely still on edge. Um, even though that shelter-in-place order was lifted after the uh, shooter was found yesterday, uh, there's a lingering anxiety for sure, uh, especially as we await the names. Because um, I, I, I tried to check in on as many people, and I, I think everyone tried to check on in, the, on 
in on as many people as they could and could think of. But um, there's obviously we, we know so many people. The MSU community is so tight knit that um, yeah, everyone's definitely on edge, awaiting the to hear more information later today. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Carter, give me a sense of what happened yesterday. I know it was about eight thirty or eight forty when this started. How did you find out about it, and what what did you do? Um, so I Monday is my one day where I have my late class, and I, I was actually on campus until about eight oh five. And um, I, I, I live about two blocks away from the the northeast edge of campus, about a ten minute walk from where the the shooting all happened. So I, I was driving past just about there um, a good ten minutes, I think, before the shooting started. Eight eighteen. Um, that's when they first reported it, and. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was over there just a few minutes before it started, but luckily I was, you know, in my car, totally safe, pulled into my uh, driveway in my house, got inside, and about five minutes after I was in here, I got a, um, an alert from the MSU, uh, you know, police email service, and they, uh, and they said, um, run, hide, fight, shelter in place. And we've had a couple gun scares earlier. Uh, there was one downtown earlier this year. Um, and there were obviously the uh, the phone calls across the you know at the high schools last week across the state. So part of me thought that you know or was hoping that it was just another hoax, just another fake call. But um, unfortunately, that was not the case. Mm. And um, I immediately started texting you know my younger brother who lives on campus, all my friends, and uh, you know it was, it was a very scary couple hours last night trying to make sure everyone was okay. You know, I was talking in the open about parents trying to reach students trying to reach their children to figure out what was going on i was one of those parents yesterday Uh, what have you talked have you been able to talk with your parents what about your friends how how frantic was that element of of things yesterday oh yeah um i know my dad he was out um, watching sports, and the second that he heard about it, he was like, okay, I got to go home, and he called me right away. My mom called me the second that she got the MSU, you know, emergency alert on her phone. I was probably on the phone with my parents for, you know, four or five hours total yesterday, called each of my brothers, um, you know, got texts from people I haven't, you know, talked to in years, you know, making sure I'm okay, and I think that's, you know, just the amount of people that were reaching out to me the the fact that I felt I had to reach out to so many people, that's when it really set in how serious of the situation it was. And I remember just, like, just after I got home, I think a minute or two before the alert came in, I heard sirens going down the street, and I didn't think much of it. And then later, the, you know, the helicopter was you know, right over my house. And, it was, yeah, very, very scary moment there last night, and everyone's still on edge today. Yeah. Uh, Carter, I really do appreciate you calling in. Um, it's great to hear you from you. Great to hear that you're okay. And that uh, as far as you know, everyone in your community there on campus is okay. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, Emily, before, uh, we have to break, uh, I want to have, give you a chance to talk about what, what is next. Uh, uh, we don't know much about what happened. What's the prospect of actually figuring this out uh, as police and other authorities said they don't know what the connection was or the motivation uh, for this shooting what do we what do we expect to, to learn in the next 48 to 72 hours yeah um 
you know, it's not entirely clear at this point, but there was some police activity um, at the uh, shooter's home. So there's potential that um, there's something there that might um, help help illuminate this a little bit. But, um, yeah, listening to Carter, I was just struck by um, the fact that so many kids have, um, not kids, students, excuse me, have just grown up living through situations um that, you know, many, thankfully, turned out to be false alarms. But, um, you know, we had the um, the calls to the schools he mentioned this week um, or last week. And, um, you know, unfortunately, as, as you mentioned, some parents from um, Oxford were uh, telling, telling their kids, unfortunately, the same thing that they had to tell them in, in high school. And we had uh, one of my colleagues connected with one of those parents and, you know, your heart just goes out to people who keep encountering the situation or who are living in fear, in a very reasonable fear, of encountering a, a an active shooter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So also, Emily, uh, as I mentioned, you're an alum of mm-hmm. the university and, and uh, you were there all night last night covering this. Uh, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah, um, well, it's a, a lot to process, and, um, you know, it took me a lot of years to learn that empathy is a strength and not a weakness as a reporter, um, and I, I guess, you know, my approach to the situation came with all the empathy in the world because, you know, I was I was stationed right um, on Grand River by the Union um, where this action was. Um, you know, I was looking at... Uh, what looks like a, a body covered by a sheet um, that uh, emergency personnel were were working around, and um, you know it was it was on the sidewalk. It was on a sidewalk that um, I I walked hundreds of times going to and from class at, at Michigan State University. Um, my dorm that I um, stayed in was in the complex right across from the Union and West Ripple. So um, you know, for me, it was just really, really easy to place myself in in the shoes of uh, some of these students who were just so frightened. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people, some of them on the record, some of them off the record, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't approach my political sources like this, but um, as I was having conversations with people, I just um, was, was really conscious about um, their experience on campus and I was telling everybody I hoped all their friends were safe and that um, yes. that they were able to, to deal with this because I, I can't imagine. It, college is an extremely stressful time no matter what. Um, as an adult, maybe you can relate. I still wake up with stress dreams about missing exams and things <laughs> like that. Um, but, you know, it's the layer of, of stress and trauma that this um, put on top of that experience for, for these students isn't fair, and, and I, I feel really, really badly for them. Yes, yes. Okay, Emily Lawler, uh, great work uh, keeping people informed about what was happening uh, in East Lansing yesterday. And uh, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me.
When we come back, we are going to talk briefly, at least, with a psychologist who specializes in stress, anxiety, and trauma here at Wayne State University to talk about the effect that these kinds of events have on communities uh, like East Lansing and the Michigan State University. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Are you the parent of a student at University uh, Michigan State University? Are you a student at Michigan State University? Call and tell us how this unfolded in your circle yesterday. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. On 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Uh, We are talking about the mass shooting in East Lansing yesterday at Michigan State University. Uh, Someone who uh, has yet to be uh, fully identified uh, in terms of who they are and why they might have wanted to do this. Uh, shot and killed three students on campus and wounded five others. Um, We are talking about uh, the trauma that uh, that people feel and are experiencing as a result of this. Uh, We also want to make this, as it always is, uh, a forum for us to talk about those feelings and talk about the things that are going on and going through people's heads as we try to sort this out this morning. There are so many of us here in Southeast Michigan who have real connections to East Lansing and Michigan State University. I happen to be one of them. My son is in his first year studying at uh, MSU. And like many other parents yesterday, uh, I was frantically calling to make sure that uh, that he was okay. Turns out he was. He was sheltering in his dorm with friends. Uh, but the anxiety, the stress of that situation, calling one of your children uh, to make sure that they're not part of something that you know has been lethal for other people. Uh, It's really um, an experience that as a parent, uh, you can't fully describe, I guess, the range of emotions that you go through. We want to hear from you, uh, as always, about what's going on in your world uh, how you're reacting to this. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to introduce another voice to the conversation. Uh, Arash Javanbacht is a psychiatrist who serves as the director of the Stress, Trauma, and Anxiety Research Clinic here at Wayne State University. His work focuses on anxiety, trauma, and PTSD. Uh, Dr. Javenbacht, welcome to Detroit Today. It's a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think 
gets lost a little bit in uh, incidents like this uh, is the mass effect uh, from a psychological uh, uh, perspective of on on people. It's not just other students. It's not just other faculty and administrators. Uh, there's an entire community that will suffer from the lingering effects of what happened uh, for many years. That is absolutely correct. First, I want to say how sorry I am about these events keep repeating and uh, keep repeating to the future of this country or these students. Uh, it does impact the society at different, at different levels. I mean, one level is Either the closest is those who are the closest and in proximity. That's the community of people in and around the campus and in Lansing area, as well as uh, the first responders who have rushed into the scene. And I was listening to the previous uh, person you were talking to, uh, their observation of what they saw in the scene. And some people have seen those. Some people will hear about them. Some people see them on the media. And this basically tells us, uh, tells the community that, listen, the danger is now closer to us. Every time these events happen in a new place, new environment, that environment is now off the safe, quote-unquote, places list in the minds of a lot of people. So every time people go to a college, now a Wayne State University uh, college student, when they go to this uh, university, when the University of Michigan student goes to the university, now it has been closer to home and it feels more real to them the possibility of this happening to them yeah. and there's the society at large whether it's in our state or other states that they basically get exposed to these horrific experiences uh, whether we see, again we see it repeatedly over and over in the news or we just hear hear about it so it has the impact we call it trauma. Trauma when it is uh, when I'm right there and I'm exposed to a shooting, and there's a risk to my own life, as is on affecting the realm of post-traumatic stress disorder or other conditions. But also, society at large who have been exposed to it have can experience different levels of anxiety, and even some traumatic symptoms. Mm. So, so how do you help people who? Have experienced this kind of PTSD, and and again, not just the people who are experiencing it directly, because um, you know they were part of an incident or witness to an incident or or first responders uh, at an incident, but but for folks who are just rattled, uh, really rattled by the idea that this happened in their community, I'm thinking here of. All of these students yesterday in East Lansing who spent hours sheltering, hiding, uh, in the dark, trying to be quiet because they feared that this shooter might come to, to, to where they were next. What, what are the things that we can do to address that kind of stress? Very important question. First, I want to use this opportunity to say those who are also highly impacted, whether they were in the vicinity of shooting or they were first responders to the situation and can sustain the most serious forms of uh, symptoms, they can be helped. We have very good ways of helping and treating people right now. We are offering those treatments and people can be totally symptom-free so that there's hope. I say this because there are a lot of people who may be listening to this and have been suffering not from this or even for years that can be helped. But when it comes to the 
larger groups and society at large, the first thing is to help people feel safe. That's one of the most important things, to know that the law enforcement uh, authorities are in charge and they can protect them and give them a sense of control. Uh, then there is the need for helping people gradually and as soon as possible come back to their normal routines of life. Because the more we stay away from it, the, uh, the harder it will be to get back to it as well. In parallel, people should be allowed to talk. If they need to talk, if there are students, if there are via family members who have had exposure or they're being stressed, if they want to talk, listen to them and talk to them and try to help them feel more comfortable, even if it is just, just a hug or listening, have a, being a listening ear. But at the same time, we don't want to push people. We don't want to force them to tell us the details of the experience. Yet. They don't, we don't want to keep exposing them to what they experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a, another important aspect. And of course, some people might have anxiety, the fear energy is piled up in them. And it's important to utilize that energy, whether coming back to the normal exercise is one, one way of basically getting a relief and a release uh, to that feeling of safety is important. And also there are other ways of channeling, whether it's like I try, I use my own fear and my own anxiety and my own stress to try to go and help and volunteer and anything that I can do, advocacy, that I can help reducing the risk. Because one other aspect that people who survive these events hurts them for years is the feeling of unfairness, the feeling that, okay, I suffered this, my friend suffered this, people in my community who died to this and nothing happened and nothing changed and that feeling of justice not being served in the long term and this again happening to other groups of people really hurts the survivors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. again 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag us we can include you that way let's go to lucy in detroit lucy welcome to the show Hey, Stephen. Um, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I just want to say um, I'm so sorry for what your family went through last night. That is, uh, must have been just the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found out recently, I have two little kids in pre-cool, preschool daycare here in Detroit, and I found out through a friend of mine whose kids also go there that they do lockdown drills twice a year for these little kids. Oh, my goodness. In a preschool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they didn't, like, this place over-communicates every aspect of their day, but they didn't mention this but to us that. as parents. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I explain this to my four-year-old daughter? Mm. Right. I mean, just like the the level of disgust. And I have a, a family member who's a QAnon person who had her, her teenager, there, someone, there was a school shooting at her school one person got shot in the leg thank god it wasn't anything worse than that but like she i was like well are your feelings changed now about the second amendment amendment she's like well history shows that you know if if people can't protect themselves then governments will run all over them and i'm like you think a a group of people with a few rifles can outgun the united states military and this is worth it yeah yeah, people, little uh, Lu- kids. <laughs> Lucy, I I am stunned uh, by the by the the story um, that you're telling us about about your 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 child's preschool. I I I don't think I've ever heard of anything uh, like that. I'm really glad you called and shared it, though, um, Doctor Javenbach. Is this how we should be dealing with? I mean, clearly, the the effort there is to prepare these children for 
you know, uh, uh, something that might happen, but there's a psychological effect of that on them. And it seems like we should be just as worried about that. And this is a difficult, uh, like a fine line to walk, to be able to make sure that the kids are safe against the possibility of the threats, but at the same time, have the kids and the family not to freak out and not to get terrified. I mean, these events are horrible and terrifying. They shouldn't happen. One of them is too many. But at the same time, we have to put it in perspective. A lot of times when I talk to parents in my clinic, I have to remind them and talk to them, okay, what's the chance? There is a chance, but that chance is very, very, very slim and very little that it just might happen to your kid. And the more stressed and the more nervous parents are about it, so who do kids learn about how safe or unsafe the world out there is from, from their parents and from their media? So it is important for parents to also be able to handle their own emotions about this and create the feeling of safety and calm for the kids. And, of course, also keep them away from the too much exposure to the news media. I'm just going to use a simple, use this as, a, as an uh, opportunity to use a simple example. If a kid, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid is watching TV, which is on all the time, and he keeps seeing these scenes of the police around this uh, environment and hearing the uh, uh, stories of the shooting, they may think this is this keeps happening. They don't, they, some of them will not think this is just the same important. They think this keeps happening in other schools and near them and near their school. So, Yes, feeling, keeping them safe and having them know what to do gives a sense of control to the kids. Also, of course, it should be age-appropriate that, okay, there's something I can do when they see these things, if these things happen. But at the same time, letting, know that they are, letting them know that they are very relatively safe and these events are very rare. Mm. Okay. Uh, Dr. Javenbach, it was really wonderful to have you here help us understand some of the trauma dimensions of uh, what happened yesterday. And East Lansing, thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. When we come back, we're going to be joined by State Senator Mallory McMorrow, a Democrat who represents the 8th District uh, in our uh, legislature. Um, We are going to talk with her about gun legislation that we have had proposed for a long time in Lansing and can't get really anywhere on that. Uh, We also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Perry in Detroit, Phyllis and Warren, uh, we'll get to you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined. We're talking about the shooting, the mass shooting yesterday at Michigan State University and what we are to make of not just the continuing gun violence that plagues us here in America, but the increasing sense I think some of us have that we're just a number of incidents away from this touching us personally. The idea that maybe none of us will escape the idea of being part of a mass shooting in some way. We want to 
hear from you as well uh, during the conversation. 313-577-1019. Are you the parent of a student at Michigan State University? Are you a student at Michigan State University? Are you an alum or otherwise part of that community? Call and tell me how you are reacting to what happened, how you are feeling this morning. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation as well. State Senator Mallory McMorrow is a Democrat who represents the 8th District. It includes cities in Oakland County. Uh, Mallory, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, as I said uh, in uh, an earlier part of the show, you're somebody who has been talking about this for a long time and talking about uh, things like this, not just from the standpoint of uh, the violence that they represent, but the, the, the guns that enable these kinds of incidents. I wonder if you can tell us what you're thinking about this morning as we again uh, try to unpack uh, a very close to home incident like this. It's a horrible day. You know, I'm thinking back to the Oxford high school shooting and a refrain that we heard on on news reports around the country that started with another mass shooting this time in Michigan. And now it's another mass shooting this time in Michigan again. And, And some of the same kids who survived the Oxford high school shooting are now reliving that hell again. And already seeing... Some of my colleagues say that we need to work together and, and look for solutions, and hopefully we can come together and feeling, if anything, a little bit of hope now because we do have a new majority and the dozens and dozens of bills that we have introduced year after year after year uh, are going to get a chance now. And I know that it's not going to bring these kids back. I know it's not going to help these families recover from this, but the goal has to be to make sure fewer people have to go through this. It's just completely unacceptable and horrifying. So I I saw some, I guess, conversation back and forth last night on social media between some of your colleagues and uh, some, some, I assume, voters or or maybe just uh, uh, people who follow them. That was blunter than what I normally see when we when we talk about these things. There was a sense of of exasperation, I guess, that uh, that attended some of these tweets, uh, and and some of them used language I can't repeat here on the radio. Um, give me a sense of how anxious or uh, frustrated Democrats are with the inability, so far at least, to to get someplace on these issues. Well, look, I, I don't blame anybody for being angry last night, and 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 I was reading them. I I used language I'm not going to repeat on the radio this morning myself. Um, it is infuriating to have seen so much work for so long, and I understand the feeling that so many people have of Democrats are in charge now. Do something, and we're going to. We will. Um, and my only thought last night as I watched this play out, even though I know my colleagues like Senator Rosemary Bayer, who leads our gun violence prevention caucus, you know, we've been in session for about a month now and everybody's working diligently to update the bills, to make sure they're fully vetted, to make sure that when they go through the committee process and the hearings that, that they're airtight, they're going to hold up. And my only thought last night was it wasn't fast enough. Mm. Um, you know, we don't know that 
legislation would have prevented this exact shooting. But we have to reduce the number of them. And it's a really, it's a combination of a hopeless feeling, um, but also just reigniting the urgency to to get this done um, and to get it done the right way. This can't be our shared experience. So what will it take in the legislature to get something done? As As you point out, Democrats have control for the first time in nearly 40 years of both chambers. Uh, that doesn't mean you can just do anything. I mean, there, there, there still is convincing that needs to be done. There's organization. Um, how confident are you in uh, in the leadership and 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 the the two caucuses that this can happen? You know, I'm very confident. Um, I know that we've learned a lot since we began introducing bills, especially related to red flag laws, safe storage laws, background checks. We've learned a lot from watching other states who have done it and done it successfully. There's a lot more research than, than when we started. So the bills are being updated um, just to make sure that they are the best they can possibly be, that we are introducing something that is meaningful and impactful, and, and they're almost ready to go. Um, you know, I know that there will still be debate and there'll still be nuance, but I firmly believe that, you know, voters are not willing to accept inaction anymore. I mean, these are things where... 80 to 90 percent of Americans agree the pressure is there. Um, so I believe we have support in, in, in our caucuses, and I hope we have support on the other side of the aisle. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that session uh, was canceled today, and, and I saw people online saying, oh, you have to get to work. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is the Capitol is four miles mm-hmm. away from Michigan State. Yes. This is everybody's kids. This is a majority of staff and their families who work in Lansing. So a lot of our conversations today have been making sure everybody who works in the Capitol is okay. And right now, a lot of them aren't. Yes, yes. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here. 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you that way. Let's go to Marie in Ann Arbor. Marie, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Hi. Go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, I just want to say I, I work at Michigan State and my son is a student. He's safe. But I think about all the parents I, who lost a child but whose child is in the hospital and, and may leave with lifelong disabilities. Mm-hmm. And if I were that parent and this happened, the message to me would be we don't care. If, if nothing happens and all the hundreds of parents that have lost children and nothing happens, we as citizens say we don't care what happened to you. We don't care. Your life has been shattered. Yes. Uh, Marie, I, I'm really glad you called and, and expressed that side of things. I mean, I cannot get out of my mind uh, the idea of the parents who are waking up this morning to um, to unimaginable loss. Um, the three parents, uh, you know, the three students who were who were killed, their parents, but but also, as you point out, the, the kids who were wounded, uh, these are not wounds that, you know, you patch up and, and move on from. Often they are uh, life-altering and, and debilitating. Um, Mallory, this idea that uh, we don't care if we don't do anything I think is quite powerful. Uh, is that enough to get us uh, across the finish line in the in the legislature? I, I, I think it will be. You know, I... 
I lost a friend in the Virginia Tech shooting, Mm -hmm. um, the older brother of of one of my best friends, and I was in college at the time. I will never forget watching it play out over and over and over on TV, Um, seeing my friend's dad, you know, just screaming on the front page of the Washington Post, and I felt that way. You know, how can this happen? And nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was really inspired when I started running for the first time because I felt hopeless in that moment. But in the wake of the Parkland shooting, devastating to day today and the fifth year anniversary, you know, kids didn't accept no action as an answer. So there were high school kids who reached out to me as a first time candidate and wanted to get coffee and, and grilled me on where I was and what I would do on this issue. And it has taken a long time, but I, I notice a real shift in people moving from feeling helpless to feeling motivated yeah. and not being willing to take no for an answer. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, again, Marie, really appreciate the call, and I'm glad your son uh, is okay. Let's go to Jerry in Dearborn. Jerry, we don't have much time left, but go ahead. I, I just want to say that a previous caller mentioned that she thought uh, the purpose of a gun was to oppose the government. That's not it. Uh, in, a, in a nation like this, where you have many di- different races, religions, cultures, you never know when someone, someone's going to go nuts. So that's why you need a gun to, to, to protect you against your neighbors. Is that is that what guns typically get used for, Jerry? I mean, I, I hear you, and that, I know I respect the Second why, Amendment. That is why we need them. Yeah. Uh, uh, a witness in Detroit, Detroit that has three hundred. Uh, over 300 murders every year. Mm-hmm. The, the problem there is the culture. They like to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why... Jerry, I live, in, I live in Detroit, and I don't have a gun for that reason. I don't want to contribute to that number. Uh, uh, Mallory, I'll give you just... Uh, I've got about a minute left. I'll give you a chance to respond. Uh, you know, look, Jerry uh, represents, I think, the other side of this. Is he's not alone. There are a lot of people... We think we ought to have respect, a lot of respect, for the rights of gun owners. And and rights need to be balanced. I mean, first of all, I I just, speaking on behalf of of people that I now represent in Detroit who want their kids to come home, Mm -hmm. who want their neighbors to be safe, who are not okay with the amount of gun violence that we have, whether it's in schools, whether it's day-to-day, whether it's domestic violence, it has to end. And what we are proposing and what we have to propose and what we all have to come together around is promoting gun safety and making sure guns are not in the hands of people who should not have them. Yes. Yes. Okay. State Senator Mallory McMorrow, it is uh, always great to have you here on Detroit Today, especially today, though. It was great to have your voice as part of this conversation. Thanks so much for joining Thanks, us. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we're going to talk about how one mayor in the suburban Detroit is trying to create a more equitable city right here in Metro Detroit. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.